Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new Deep Cuts Live. I'm your host, Antoine Reed, for those of you who are joining us for the first time. Uh, if you're watching this on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, make sure you hit that live, uh, the follow button or the subscribe button, and um, to be informed of any time we come up with new content. So today's guest is someone that I have wanted to have on Deep Cuts for quite a while, but I wanted to make sure everything was decent because this is a uh, one of the big people in the cigar industry today. So we're going to be speaking to Pete Johnson, who is the president, founder of Tatuaje Cigars. And let's bring on our guests. Pete, how are you? Good. I When you said the word decent, I was like, uh, maybe I'm underdressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, I, I am actually wearing underwear, under, you know, like <laughs> shorts. <laughs> when no, I I'm wearing jeans. Yeah, like I was saying in the intro, I've, you know, I never knew what this thing was going to come out, but it was funny because I believe I tell people what inspired Deep Cuts was watching people during the pandemic put on their own little interview shows. And I remember tuning into yours with Michael Herklotz and I was like, wow, I was like, that would be cool if I knew enough people uh, in this industry to have that conversation. And then I was like, you know, at some point I was like, I'm going to build up. And uh, so her class's show and there's several others um like the lounge experience that were uh inspirations for me and i guess the interview with you watching you and her class interact i was like i think it'll be fun to do uh, just for an hour i know he was doing it as like a little lunchtime series yeah. and uh, i just thought it would be fun to get to know different people in the industry because usually when i see you it's at a trade show um at the pca trade show every year and there's ten thousand things going on and your booth is like one of the busiest. It's like the hub where everybody likes to come to. And and you're, you know, talking. To, it's like uh, in the 80s, I remember Toys R Us used to have these events where they would have the characters dress up like uh, He-Man and uh, all these other Ninja Turtles. And you would wait in line to meet the people. And that's how it is <laughs> at, at PCA. Um, well, I think you're not giving yourself enough credit. You know a lot of people in the industry. Like, I know you know a lot of people. <laughs> well, now I do. It, 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 not at the beginning, not when, like, even, like, when we were talking beforehand, like, two years or so ago when I saw you at my father's, like, when I was first starting to come out of my shell a little bit and get to know people and, you know, and create a whole different brand outside of just being a writer or being a graphic designer, which is what people kind of knew me as at that time. Um, so it's been a process, but. Very cool. But um, but yeah, but so I've always liked, you know, as I started to get to know the cigar industry, because I did not start off as a cigar smoker. And even now, I would say I'm more of a observer of the cigar industry. I'm not a cigar aficionado by any means. I can't pick out the notes in a cigar. I'm not good with the ratings, so I never do that kind of stuff. But I like to follow different brands. And the brands that always stand out to me are, are brands like yours, because you do things so differently than some of the bigger, I want to say that the brands that are kind of more corporation like, if that makes any sense, where yeah. they put out a product, there's no, there's brand managers, but there's no real face or personality. And I'm not saying that that's anything bad. It's just their, that's their approach to business. But you and like Matt Booth have, have always kind of been like personality driven. Like people know you too. And therefore, they, that's how they kind of get into the brand. And that's what makes that following kind of fun to watch it evolve. 
Yeah, and we're still relatively a small company. I mean, we're not uh, – I mean, we're – when it comes to business, I'm very small-minded because I actually enjoy the one-on-one with people and the close communication with the consumers because that's how I was when I started in the industry. I was a consumer. I'm still a consumer, but I was the guy that was waiting to meet all these superheroes that I you know, looked up to in the industry – and then I realized that they were just really cool people. Like, I, I don't think I ever met anybody back in the old days when I started, which is close to 30 years now. I don't think I ever met any guy that was like a total, like, you know, dick for lack of better words. Right. <laughs> they were always really generous with their time. You know, obviously these brands are much bigger now. But they're still family-owned. That's the one thing that I have to say about those companies that uh, that I really admired. They're still family-owned companies, and they're still pretty much the same people. Now they just look at me as a uh, a peer instead of a a follower. And always, then, by the way, I used to follow them around all over the place too. <laughs> you know, I always refer when I'm speaking to you, and I know a couple of weeks ago I had John from uh, Crown Heads on. And I always refer back to that famous cigar press cover where it was like right at, I think it was shot right at the cusp of the, what was then called the big boutique boom of all yeah. the brands. And we're just, every time I have people on, we're always talking about how, you know, how it was funny that that cover and all of you who are on that cover are still here. And now instead of being like the newbies of the industry, you're like the state. We're the old guys. <laughs> How does that feel like to kind of look back? Well, at I that mean, how does it feel to look back at that cover while I'm fatter and uh, grayer? So like, it doesn't feel it, it feels great to be part of that group because these guys are what are people I consider friends. And, you know, it's, it's nice to uh, reminisce about the old days when we were all a little bit, a little bit crazy. I think we've all calmed down a lot since then. Um, Except for maybe Jonathan, I think he went on, you know, even further. <laughs> I know, but the, uh, it's a great group. So, I kind of, I, I of course have interviewed you for magazines, articles, and such like that. But I know that what I've found over the years is that uh, not everybody reads anymore, <laughs> and they don't always know the those stories of some of the brands that they enjoy now. So what I like to do with deep cuts is kind of get some of the little stories so people can better connect with the brands. Um, so some of the questions I know that, like I said, you and I've already talked about, but hopefully we can kind of cover them from a different angle or get a little bit more personal than what it was, like I said, in a written format. Um, well, I think, I think I mentioned to you after that article came out that you were one of the few people that actually captured the essence of Tatuaje in an article. Like you, I, I remember, I think I remember talking to you about this. And it was like, I was like really happy with that, the way that article came out. Well, thank you. Like, I, I think, uh, I think for me, it's always trying to, I was thinking about that today because with my writing approach, I really do feel like I'm doing more reporting than I am like writing, which is trying to get the words down exactly how you say it and not yeah. my own spin, like, well, they said this, but I'm going to twist it around to like have them say this because it changes like the whole essence of the story. So yeah, uh, that that's always tough because I mean, I I, I mean I watch people like yourself, um, and I don't know if you do the same, but I see like shorthand 
on people doing, you know, taking notes while they're interviewing people. I'm like, how are they even going to decipher any of that? See, I, I never do that because I can never sit down and, and take notes that court. So I always tell people, you know, I always do like, can I record you? Yeah. Speaking to them so I can get, and then I, I record them. And as crazy as it sounds, like I listen to the interview or when I'm asking them the questions, but then I try to just kind of come in and out of the conversation. And then afterwards I will listen to the conversation word for word and go through and I create a transcript of every conversation like that. And that way it's like, I'm having a conversation twice. So like once when I'm like half listening and just trying yeah. to get like the good questions in, and then I'll come in and, and they'll say something. I'm like, Ooh, that'll be a good follow-up question. I didn't ask then. And then I'll get that, that down. And then, like I said, the second round is going word for word. So an hour conversation, like today I was doing tra transcription and uh, I was doing Willie Herrera from Drew Estate. And it was an hour and two minute conversation that took me from, Nine o'clock this morning until about four fifty this afternoon to get every single word, and that's pretty good. You know, a good speed of really getting it, but making sure, like, like I said, every word that he said was kind of captured. Yeah, so I can well, because because most of us cigar guys like to talk a lot. <laughs> well, the good ones do. Sometimes, like, there's there have been a few that I think maybe in their mind they have a lot to say, but then like when they're interviewed. It's, it's like staccato. It's like, I know that's a musical term for people, but it's like yeah. a little blip here. And you're like, oh, this, like, I need more than that. I need you to, <laughs> I need you to like dig deeper. So it's, it's a process. Hence the name Deep Cuts. <laughs> exactly. Um, so before you got into the cigar industry, you were a musician, which I always yeah. find to be interesting because I found over the years that a lot of cigar people have turned out to be musicians. You think of Ernesto Perez Carrillo, you think of Michael Herklops, Matt Booth. Um, I mean, per, Nick Perdomo, <laughs> this is like the list goes on. Oh, it's off. a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Rocky played drums. Herklops, obviously a great drummer. Ernesto was a good drummer. Uh, Nick, same thing. Uh, then you got Booth and I, which are both bass players. Uh, Dan Welsh, who works with us on surrogates was a bass player also. Uh, yeah, there's there's a ton out there. My sales rep in California was a guitar player when he was younger, a very good one too. So I mean, yeah, I, I think I think it's the creativity thing that uh, you know when music dies for a lot of us, we look for other avenues to create. Right. And cigars, really, the culture is what we what made me fall in love with the industry and the people that I met made me fall in love with the industry. And then I started spinning my wheels and figuring the creativity part is like writing a song in music and why not have that same mentality? So when I finally eventually started my brand 19 years ago, going on 20, um, it uh, that's the first thing I did. I, I just used the creative juices that I had in music and, and put it towards uh my love for creating things into cigars. And I think that's a, a good point that you don't hear a lot because I think people, if you're outside of the cigar industry and you're not really a big cigar smoker, you don't, the first thing that doesn't come to your mind isn't usually like, Oh, it takes creativity to create a cigar, but it yeah. really does because you have to get creative with that flavor profile that you're creating in the blend. And you have to get creative with 
um, the branding, like how are you going to tell your story? You have to get creative with the marketing. So it does require a lot more creativity than I think a lot of people kind of put out there. And I think maybe some of those brands that kind of come out there with a the product and thinking that it's going to sell on itself. Those that have yeah. issue is that it's the creative part. Cause like, Oh, I have to get creative about how I put out a product. And then they, that's when I think they have a few issues. So that's the one thing that, uh, that we at Tatuaje do is we, we don't create things thinking that we're going to sell them. We actually create things first for us to smoke. Uh, for us to enjoy because without us being able to absolutely 100% enjoy the product, I love the product. There's no reason why we're able to talk about it. So the first thing we do is we make the cigars for ourselves. The bonus is when other people actually enjoy them also. So creativity on the marketing side is really creating something fun that we believe in creating a great cigar. And the, the hope is that people might enjoy them also, but it's not the focus. And with speaking of the creativity part, what I think is different about your brand also is that a lot of your cigar bands are, you know, understated. Like they aren't right. elaborate things. And it's almost makes you, forces you to focus more on the product, the blend, once you, you get that cigar, than being kind of allured in by a band that has like gold embellishments and, and, all the other I, things that some other brands do. I love the gold embellishments. I love the the flash and the bands. I think cigar packaging is some of the most beautiful packaging in the world. But for me, when I started the brand, it was really about the cigar, always about the cigar. And I only put a band on the cigar because someone someone actually said that the cigar needs some type of name recognition. You don't want someone taking the cigar out of the box and forgetting what they're smoking. So it was it was kind of a last-minute decision to put a band on the cigar. And once I did that, I kind of kept the same theme moving forward. Uh, very simple, understated things. I have a couple fancier bands out there, but uh, like La Mission is a good, a good example. But when it comes to Coraline Tatuaje, it's really about understatement and making sure that people know that they're smoking a great cigar before smoking a band. Exactly. Um, someone, Nico, let me pull up this comment real quick, says, uh, with all the annual releases Tatuaje does, wouldn't you say you're more of just a small boutique cigar brand? Yeah, I think that was from based on something you said earlier. But Yeah, uh, well, that? that's a good point. Uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to the company size, uh, I would say that we're not so boutique anymore. But when it comes to the individual releases and the different brands that we release them under, those are all very boutique. Um, I would say that when we do our annual Monster Series, that's a bigger production for a limited run. That's a bigger production than some of the cigars that we make in Miami, uh, which are very small production. Some, some cigars in Miami, we make two, 3,000 cigars of per year. So it's still... It still has a boutique flair to it, but I, I always go to the question is like, what is boutique anymore? Is, that um, is it, is it a way of thinking or is it, is it, you know, a, a level of, of, of uh, sales, you know, like, cause someone Hey, you're boutique. If you sell under $1 million per year. Um, I don't know about that. I think um, we have a lot of brands in our portfolio 
that that traditionally you, if you look at them they're, they're definitely boutique because we're making you know under 50,000 cigars a year on some of these brands you know some I remember interviewing Rafael Nodal a couple of years ago and he said you know boutique is more of a mentality or attitude these days than it is like a descriptor when I first came into the industry in 2010 boutique was I don't even want to say a bad word, but it was almost like a way to kind of categorize the industry. Like, you know, I'm a big company and those companies over there are boutique, like small or, or whatever. And now that's yeah. changed, I think, because now when I speak to retailers, for example, they're almost looking for boutique or, you know, some of these smaller companies. Because, smaller brands, yeah. Right. Because they just the quality is a little bit different. You know, they they they're dealing straight with you know directly with people like yourself they don't have to go through ten thousand sales reps sometimes which kind of gets on their nerves well i mean so a good example if you look at the the my father family the the, my father group who was kind of my family i've been working with them since they started uh was the first cigar that they ever made for a long time we were running very neck and neck as far as business goes and sales go, they still make all of my products and they, you know, obviously they have a bunch of their own brands that, that are uniquely different than Tatuaje's. They're just a bigger company now, but they still make the same quality products that they were making when they were, you know, selling far less. Uh, they're again, they're a much bigger company now, but the, the quality and the care for the product is still the same. Exactly. Like, a, I mean, um, going off of that a little bit or backtracking just a little bit before you launched your brand, you know, you were a consumer, but you also yeah. worked in the industry on the retail side. Is that yeah, I worked, I worked behind counters. Yeah. And I know I, I, I was a, uh, a retail clerk for multiple years. I became a uh, GM of a uh, store in Los Angeles for a while. And then eventually the Grand Havana came kind of headhunting. Uh, towards me and mm-hmm. I took a job with the Grand Havana room as their director of retail. That was the, probably the down, the up point and the down point of my career in the cigar industry. When I say that, um, I was making a big move for myself in the industry, working with a, a very prestigious cigar club. But at the same time, they put me into an office where I had to punch numbers. So I kind of lost contact and focus on, the industry itself. I was so focused on, you know, making sure our inventory numbers were correct mm-hmm. that I kind of lost the vibe of where, what I missed behind the counter. And eventually quickly uh, into Grand Havana, I eventually went back into the store and worked behind the counter and did all my, my work for the corporate stuff from behind the counter in the store. So I was actually face to face with a consumer and uh, it, it actually was kind of like, a weight off my shoulders because being behind a computer on a desk all day was not me. Um, so I was actually happy going back to the store and, and working retail. I worked that retail job with Grand Havana up until 2006, even though I started my brand in 2003, I wasn't sure if I could make the jump to make Tatuaje a full-time thing. So I had the backup plan of having a, a regular daytime job too. I think that's interesting. So I think a lot of people who want to create their own cigar brands 
who haven't yet, you know, they, they don't know what the process is really like because they see the, the end product and they don't always hear this part of the story about how it takes a lot of patience to kind of build up to the point where you can just say it, this full time. <laughs> it takes a lot of patience, a lot of time, uh, a lot of uh, mental stress and, and eventually finances to build up inventory. Again, it, it wasn't an overnight success. I would say a lot of the overnight successes have come over in the last 10 years. When I started in 03, it took a while before there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, there were no social media platforms. It took a while for people to even hear about my brand. There are a couple, you know, forums like BOTL or or the Fuente uh, forum. So people knew about the brand from there. But, uh, you know, back then, no one knew about me. People actually thought I was a, a uh, like a, a host or a, uh, or a, a waiter at the Grand Havana Room, which I was not. Like, right. <laughs> there was no information about what I did. So it did take a long time. And, you know, back then it was a lot harder to uh, bring out new products as far as, you know, people were very hesitant about, you know, smoking a new brand back then. And uh, it took a while for people to recognize it. Yeah, and I think... It kind of goes off of, of what we were talking about before we went live or at the start of this uh, live conversation about creating your own like recognition or building up your own profile within the industry. Like, how did you at what point did you realize that you needed to do that in order to like you had to work on yourself? Basically, you had to work on your your own personal brand and reputation in the industry in order to get. Um, yeah, because again, people didn't know me. They right. like if you if you lived in Los Angeles and if you and you were in the cigar industry already, everybody knew me. Like everybody knew me in the industry, um, so it was easy to to bring out the brand in that sense. But when it came to the consumer basis, no one knew who the who the heck you know Pete Johnson was, and no one knew the history and the time that I put in, which was ten years before that, to actually you know focus on what was what I believed was going to be a good thing for a brand. Again, it took a lot of time. And it took a lot of money for me to, to go, okay, I need to do a second brand. Well, that's, that's more investment. Uh, now I need to do a third brand and that's even more investment. Now I have to find a place to store all this stuff that I, that I am putting away in inventory. And now I have to build inventory so I can actually have product to sell to consumers and retailers because at the time, you know, I, I started with a very small amount of money and I built slowly and every dime went back into the company, building inventory slowly. And eventually, by my fourth trade show, which was 2006 in Las Vegas, I walked into that show with about 125 retailers and, you know, decent sales per year, but not not outrageous. And I walked out of that show with probably closer to 350, but I didn't even have the product to ship. Oh. So it was like, it, it was automatically, you know, like, okay, I'm going to be on back order a lot of times. And now I have to, you know, keep on reinvesting money to build more inventory. But I would think too, that having coming out of that show with more retailers on, you know, on your roster may have helped 
spark because you knew that you had to continue to build up your brand. You had to continue to in order to meet that new demand. Like if you kept if you stayed kind of steady at where you were, then do you think you would have had that that same inclination to keep pushing it as hard? Like all of a sudden the, the pressure, you know, make a diamond, so, so to say. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you got to remember that uh, when it, when it comes to any business, you start with one employee yourself, right? And mm-hmm. then then eventually that becomes overwhelming. You need someone else to help. So I ended up hiring a friend that happened to be sitting in the cigar store every day watching me, you know, pack boxes for retailers. And one day I said, hey, do you mind watching the store while I go pack up boxes? And then eventually it was like, hey, what are you doing? You, you need a job? Uh, can you pack up some boxes? while I watch the store and then you move into a building, then you realize you need to hire employees to help pack boxes because up until about 2008, I was still behind the packing box, you know, the packing department uh, boxing cigars. And I still do it. Even today, when we go after the trade show back to Los Angeles into the warehouse, I help pack boxes because it's what needs to get done. I'm not, not above it for sure. I, I, I try to keep my hands in pretty much everything and I'm still on top of everything that goes on with the, with the company. So it just takes a long time. It just doesn't happen overnight, but you, you, you end up having to build your brand slowly. If you think you can just do it overnight, it's uh, I don't know. It's a little too much. And we had two questions that came in, uh, mm-hmm. in the last couple of minutes. Uh, so one says, hey, Pete, what's your position on informing customers about tobaccos, farming, or blends? Do you think some brands have been unveiling too much? No, no. Actually, I, I believe that uh, that education and knowledge is power. And I think the more informed and educated the consumer is, the more they'll be you know, involved in what they're smoking and they'll appreciate it more. Like I'm a, I'm a cigar geek. I'm a wine geek. I I'm a, you know, I'm a geek about multiple different things. Like I get into things, I study them. And if you're not, if I can't find information about what I'm enjoying, I feel like it's a lost cause and I kind of lose interest in it. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's necessary that, that, uh, that information's out there about, about blends and tobaccos, because here's the reality. And it was, uh, I can't, I can't remember who actually commented that, but the, uh, if I come up with a blend, I have very specific farms that I use for those blends. I could give the same exact blend to one of my friends in the industry and they're not going to make the same cigar because they're not going to have the same access to the same farms. Um, that's the magic of cigars in general is that you could use the same tobaccos and the same blends and still come up with totally different cigars. And usually for me is I like those brands that tell the story behind like what the release is and what, you know, and what makes it different from their previous release or anything else in the portfolio. It's those brands that don't tell that story as much where you have to go into a whole search and find a mission online to try to find that information. And then you don't come up with anything but wrapper binder filler. That makes me go, you know, do I want to spend money on that? Wrapper binder filler. That's, that's a good amount of information. At least you know where the tobacco is coming from. 
I don't have to be specific about what farms that we're, you know, getting the product off of. I can tell you that the majority of the tobacco that we use is grown by the Garcia family and they don't allow anybody to gain access to that tobacco aside from their clients themselves, uh, other people that they make cigars for, including myself. Um, I, I think it's important that, that the consumers have that, that knowledge. And I think what bugs me the most about this industry has always been the bullshit factor that sometimes people put a spin on describing cigars and you, you read the article or you read the, uh, the, uh, the thing that they, the, the press release about the product, and you, you just sit there and go, yeah, there's a lot of bullshit in this, in this article. So yeah. that's my biggest thing. And, and honestly, it's also telling, telling what you're doing, like what you're putting into the product. If you're going to tell what the wrapper is, at least know the varietal of the wrapper. Like I've, I used to joke about how people would come out with cigars and say, it's a special Jalapa Rosado wrapper. I'm like, well, that doesn't tell me anything. Jalapa is the, the region where it comes from. And Rosado is the shade of the color that they're, that, you know, that the cigar is dressed in, but what seed varietal is it? You know, you don't have to tell me the farm, but at least tell me the seed because again, Rosado is a color. That's why, you know, the whole Maduro thing, like, you know, Maduro is a color for me. Yeah. Do you have to process it longer to achieve that color? Yes. So people say, oh, it's a process. Well, I believe it's a color and you have to just process your tobacco longer to get that, to achieve that color. But when you tell me that it's some, you know, rare Maduro and you're not telling me anything else about, about the tobacco, I have to call bullshit. Why is it that sometimes you'll see some manufacturers when they release a cigar, they'll make this big hype about the cigar. And then when it comes to the breakdown, like the wrapper binder filler, it's all undisclosed. Uh, well, I mean, some people feel like they need to keep the secrets. I, I don't feel we need to. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I was using an illegal tobacco and everybody knows where that would be coming from, I would probably say undisclosed just to keep a air of mystery, you know, but, uh, I don't know. They, they we're, we're in the romance business. I just try not to romance stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've always just, just wondered that cause obviously I get enough press releases and you, you get this big story, you know, the first couple paragraphs are like, you know, the marketing person's talking about how great this cigar is and, how long it took. And then it gets down to like the nitty gritty details of the cigar. And it's like, it's undisclosed, but it's really good tobacco. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. <laughs> to each their own. Right. Right. So we had another question that came up as well. Um, with all the supply chain issues that every industry is facing today, how is it? Um, how is this impacting Tatawahe as a brand and your retail relationships? Well, I, you know what? The pandemic did a weird thing. Everybody was at home doing nothing. And they, the people that were smoking started smoking more. And then new smokers came into the industry, into the culture. And no one expected the increase that, that the industry could have. So no one was prepared for it, especially when you were shut down for a few months because of the beginning of the pandemic. So no one really expected to have that 
extra demand. And what happened was most, most supply chain issues were like, okay, we couldn't find containers to fill, you know, to move from Nicaragua to Miami, or I couldn't get a freight company to move anything because they were busy moving other stuff. Um, now, now the biggest supply chain issue we're having is paper, like bands for cigars. If we forget to put an order in for a band because we have a lot of brands to have paper product for, we're looking at sometimes three to six months before we get that band. Oh, God. <laughs> and that's really, that's really where we found to be having our issues with um, – fulfilling orders and, and getting product in because we ran out of a band. We got to wait three months to get the band. And then you start losing turns in your retail store and the, the relationship with the store might get hindered by that. And the next thing you know, they filled that, that's that shelf space that they were waiting for your product with something else. So we try to stay up on top of that a lot. We have no issue with tobacco supply. That's a, uh, that's not a problem. We're very lucky. The Garcias grow 90 to 90% of the tobacco we, we use. And then we have great uh, growing partners or farming partners that, that get us certain wrappers that we use that we never have to worry about getting the tobacco from them. Um, we were having a box shortage for a little bit because uh, my brother-in-law decided to uh, re you know renovate the box factory in the middle of the pandemic. And uh, that slowed down the box factory for a little while. But we've been very fortunate, aside from having like an increased demand, which really put the, the, the wrench in the, in the chain for us. That's the one that, that kind of like, oh, shit, we need more product than we expected. Mm -hmm. And then we just have to wait. So, you know, most, most cigars in reality of the cigar industry, most cigars, if you, depending on, depending on the brand, of course, but you're looking at three to six months by the time you can get them into your warehouse and then start shipping them to retailers. And I think that's totally interesting to, to hear about because you hear about the supply chain. And for, for me, you're the first person who mentioned the supply chain hitting the paper. And I know working. Well, with it's weird things like, uh, cedar ply for boxes, like wood for boxes, that that was a supply chain issue. Uh, we're feeling that right now in Miami. Our box maker in Miami ran into a uh, a stop sign for a little while where he can't find the certain cedar ply that he uses on my boxes. So we actually have to use a different material for about two, three months until he gets his supply back. Um, little things like the brooches, and the hinges on the boxes, on some of the fancier boxes, those things come from overseas. That's a problem. Nails, the little tiny nails that close the box, that's another thing that you can't find all the time. But I think the majority that's slowing us down is the paper stuff. Because, uh, you know, our band makers that we use are pretty quick, but I've seen some orders that were in at the end of last year that are just being fulfilled now. Wow. So that tells you that there's a major backup uh, in that. Um, getting back to the cigars that you make, one of the things that Tatuaje is known for 
this the Monster Mash series. So where did that come from? Because I know last year you released a big sampler. And I remember when I first caught wind of the sampler, I was like, this is thing's probably going to sell pretty quickly. So I remember yeah, that was like a, a... and get getting my hands on one before it, it sold out because I had a feeling that it was going to be another one of these high in demand products. So how did that whole series kind of come about? Well, the, the original monster series uh, was a conversation between me and a few friends, but one of my buddies, uh, Jose, who owned a store in uh, Boston, he was telling me that I needed to come. I had, I had already released a few private label projects for some retails, like store exclusives for retail stores. And He's like, you should do an annual thing. But he didn't really kind of give me any ideas, like, you know, something with a theme. And he showed me a pair of Nikes. He was a big sneaker head. And like he had probably at one time, he had more sneakers in his store than he had cigars. (laughs) And uh, he was hiding them from his wife, actually. But uh, (laughs) he showed me a pair of Nikes that actually had Frankenstein on them. And instantly when he showed me, he's like, oh, monsters, that's a cool theme. And before I left that shop that night, I had literally mapped out seven or eight monsters that I was gonna that I was gonna release. And obviously Frank was gonna be the first one. That that all started because that simple conversation about you need to have a theme cigar. So I thank Jose for for kind of putting the question mark in my head. You know, I think that's like I said, this is a fun series and it's kind of defined you all because you can, and it's one of those that people get not just for the cigar, but the packaging, like the packaging yeah. is, has been the big talking point online. And I know there are people who are, you know, had their own collections and they're trying to get this box or that box that's, you know, not out there. But to me, it's pretty genius because you're creating a product that you're creating that demand that, you know that you well it all started again thing. it all started because you know the conversation with my buddy and and the the whole concept of uh of um you know limited edition sneakers but there was also a store uh around the corner from his shop on Newberry Street that was that was called uh, Johnny Cupcakes they were a t-shirt brand and every so often they would come out with this limited edition t-shirt and people would be lined up in the middle of winter in tents, you know, like camping out in front of the store to get this special edition t-shirt that they only made a hundred of. And it kind of was based off of that theme of, of marketing. But at the, at the end, it was making sure that there was a good cigar in the box. Right. The packaging, when people saw the packaging for the first time, like friends in the industry, they were all like, what the heck is he thinking? <laughs> It's because it was, you know, like who who puts a who puts cigars in a coffin shaped box, right? And it's just really kind of a, a spin on what we call coffins, anyways. In cigars, when cigars come in little cedar boxes, we call them, you know, single coffins. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a, a play on that whole thing. But now it just looked like a coffin for a monster. <laughs> we, and I've seen past interviews that you've done, and you talked about how you know, from the name of your company being inspired by your tattoos and being different coming into the industry with tattoos. Have you ever felt, and, and now the monster, the story about the monster being different, how the people's reaction to it at first was like, what is this? Have you ever felt pressure to 
conform more in order to have more success or how have you kind of been bold and saying this is who I am and you know yeah. this is you're going to have to accept this or or just don't follow no it was it was really about doing my own thing because I I didn't you know set out to make an Opus X or a Padron and copy anybody that was in the industry I wanted to kind of make my own name as you know having a certain product and of course Tatuai when when the name Tatuai came out people were like the heck does it mean some people thought it was Hawaiian because of the way it sounded. Right. And I was like, it means tattoo. It is a nickname of mine. And it was personal to me. So like, again, people were like, okay, you picked, I did a few things that people like criticized in the beginning. You picked the hardest name to pronounce. <laughs> you decided to make your cigars in the United States at first. And they're too expensive. And I was to the point where I was like, yeah, listen, this is what it is. Like, I feel proud about having a brand with a name that means something to me on it. I'll teach you how to how to pronounce it. And the cigars being made in the United States meant something personal to me. Like, I really wanted to have something old school. But I was I was very introduced to tradition anyways. Like, tradition for me in the cigar industry is super important. To have that little spin like the monster series was the fun part. Right. Right. But the, but the majority of what I do is all about tradition. I mean, we own seven, uh, old Cuban brand names. I mean, so like we're super into the tradition. And when we do cigars under those brands, we try to pay homage to its history of what it, what it could have been. You know, these are brands that disappeared. Some of them disappeared in the thirties and forties. So, you know, it's hard to kind of understand it, but uh, I was lucky to find some old boxes of uh, some of my cigars and kind of mimic that style. And it was really always about, you know, following the wheel, you know, not trying to reinvent it. Uh, someone says, uh, I know the Pete Miss release is a hit around Christmas. Will you consider adding a dark themed Christmas annual release? such as the Nightmare Before Christmas theme. <laughs> no, no you, you know what? Um, haven't really thought about the Nightmare. Well, we have a little bit, but, I've, you know, I try to stay clear of, of certain things so I don't get in trouble. Right. You know, there's, there's always someone looking at, uh, at you. The more you get exposed, uh, there's always someone looking at you to see if you're, you're you know, kind of messing with anybody else's trade dress and trade dress and trademarks for me are super important, but also I, I try to make sure I steer clear of everybody else's stuff. Right. Um, another big part of what I know you for is your, um, the, the part that you play in advocacy within the industry. Like you're involved with cigar rights of America. You're heavily involved with uh, premium cigar association, PCA, which used mm -hmm. to be known as the IPCPR. Um, could you just talk about like your thoughts about advocacy and getting involved? Because I always feel like that's a major part of the industry is in some way we all play a part in that advocacy part. And, you know, I know that you're big on that. I, I think it's important for everybody to, uh, it should not rely on just a few companies to, you know, take all the weight on, I think it's something anybody who is involved in the industry, like who is making their own brand, 
I, I ask you to do your part as much as you can. I mean, even as a small company back in 2008, when the CRA started, I was donating money to the CRA back then and not small amounts. I was, because I believed in the, in the concept of protecting what we do every day and join cigars. So it's, it's important for me, for our, our trade show organizations to be strong because, you know, we, we need to have one. We need to have a good organization. We need to have a good trade show. Um, if, if the, the trade show organizations are starting to fail, I feel like the industry is starting to fail. So we need to, uh, we need to push forward and not, not backwards. And I think it's important for everybody to get involved. What are your thoughts on some of the 2022 legislation stuff that's happened? We've had, we had the big premium cigar report that came out of, uh, that group, uh, that the FDA. Uh, NASM. Yeah. The NASM report. <laughs> and then recently we, we had the news about the FDA trying to ban flavored cigars as it relates, as they had interpreted, I'm not a lawyer, but they say that it seems to be a gateway for people to get into um, tobacco and it's related to the whole menthol ban that they also want to do. Yeah. And then now they're talking about characterizing flavors, which, uh, you know, that's another, another thing where they're, they're saying that you can't say, Oh, it has notes of this or this in cigars. Um, I, I have a, a simple, a simple answer for, for characterizing flavors. I, I have either the cigar is good or it's not. And I want to, I prefer to make good cigars. What someone finds in the cigar is personal. Mm-hmm. Like I found notes in, in cigars that I've smoked over the last 30 plus years that people looked at me funny when I said, Oh my God, I tasted this, but it's all part of our sense memory. It's just trying to come forward. The, uh, the nation report, it was nice to see that them, they kind of acknowledged uh, option two that we're, that we're going for a premium cigar definition. I didn't like uh, some of the data that, that some of the outside anti organizations were giving them. They were trying to, they were trying to portray, um, guys like Nick Jonas from the Jonas brothers as a kid promoting cigars to youth because he had a fan base of young, of the younger generation. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is this kid not allowed to grow up and be an adult? This, he's not, he's, he's not a teenager anymore. He's, you know, he's actually, I think he's like 27 or 28 years old now. He's not young. So I don't know why they have this, this thing about trying to position him as like, Oh, he's the reason why, you know, the youth are smoking cigars. That's just silly. Um, the, the flavor band, I, I believe that Swisher uh, is going to do as much as they can to make sure that the flavors or anything that they do does not get, does not get banned. And at the end of the day, their win ends up being a win for the industry. So, if they're gonna if they're gonna push forward and, and make sure that, that their products are not uh, under this gun, it ends up being a win for the whole industry. Um, a minute ago, when you were talking about being able to to pick out certain notes in the cigar that maybe other other people can't, I remember that you are big on wine, like mm-hmm. just like Michael Herklotz is big on wine, and uh, Tony Bellato is big on wine. So do you think maybe that gives you a little bit of a more developed palette where you can maybe pick out certain flavors or certain notes and aromas that other people can't? 
No, I, I think I think you, you train your 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 nose and your palate a lot by by drinking the amount of wines that that we do. Um, I was more into training my palate when I was younger, so I I learned a lot about those sense memories that were coming back because you smell a glass of wine, you're like, oh, you know, it's got these notes in it, and then oh wow, most of the time it's usually. I'll be smoking a cigar or drinking a glass of wine and I'll, I'll smell the aroma come off it or I'll taste the flavor that I'm tasting in the, in the cigar. And I'm like, wow, this reminds me of a cigar I smoked in 1992, that type of thing. That's where all this stuff's in the back of your head, just waiting to come out. I think everybody has it in them. They just have to, uh, it takes time. It's not like an overnight thing. It's by a lot of times it's by mistake. You know, especially for someone who who doesn't do reviews and doesn't look for it, it's it's literally by mistake. I was driving in my car one day when I was 20, 22 years old, and I was like, oh, oh my God, I tasted leather. And it might have been because I was in a leather car seat, you know, and maybe the atmosphere around me. And I don't know. I think it's it's all back there just waiting to come out, and, and it will come out by surprise. It won't be just an instant thing like – I just can't get the notes. So my my resident troll is on here. Slicer shades. <laughs> <laughs> I remember sitting um, through a, a tasting seminar with um, Hanky Kellner at one point and how he was trying to teach us, you know, the different parts of the tongue and how the cigar will stimulate the different parts of the tongue and notice that. So that's how I, how I personally have always kind of thought of cigars. Like I always will write down in my phone, I have like an ongoing notes thing. Like when I smoke a cigar, like what part of the tongue does it stimulate? And then relate it back to like what part of the tongue that, that taste, you know, um, is associated with that part of the tongue. Um, well, if I recall, I think Hanky came from blending cigarettes originally. Like that was uh, he, he became his blending skills started as, you know, someone who made cigarettes and learned a lot about how, how the tobacco stimulates your mouth. Uh, I know he has a very, a very unique way of teaching that too. So, and, and a guy like Dion uh, from Illusione follows Hanky's kind of guidelines a lot. Okay. Um, somebody asked, when can we expect retailers to receive the 20th anniversary release? Oh, the new twenties. Those are actually kind of a lead in to my 20th anniversary. They're stamped with a cliche on the side of the box. It says uh, 20 years, uh, but it's, product that I started building last year in Miami and we're probably going to release them sometime later this year. Um, but the actual 20th anniversary cigars, real banded 20th anniversary cigars will show up uh, in probably mid to late 2023. And you were talking about when I booked you for the show, the Tatuate Tuxla, is that how you pronounce it? Tuxla, Tuxla. Oh. Yeah, so San Andreas, San Andreas Tuxla. It's actually the city um, where all the you know the San Andreas tobacco is grown, like in that region. So we were looking for a clever name instead of you know calling it San Andreas. We decided to call it Tuxla, so people know anytime we use the word Tuxla on a band or that band that says Tuxla, it's a San Andreas based uh, cigar. Okay, um, what do you have planned for PCA this year? I actually have uh, a lot of things. I mean, we we have the 10-year anniversary of surrogates 
So we're doing a special size for surrogates that's going to be launched at the, the PCA. It's the 10-year anniversary for Atelier. So we're launching a special size uh, in the same size as surrogates, but different blend in Atelier. We have a new Kabai, a couple of new Kabai ones showing up at the trade show. Um, it's a brand that I've been making since 2004. And, you know, it, it turned actually shit. It turned 15 last year, I think it was. So maybe it was 2005 then. But um, that and then uh, we have the PCA exclusive that's coming out that is going to be available. A very small run of cigars is going to be available at the show. Uh, first come, first serve. The people, we expect to sell out of it within the first hour that we're at the trade show this year. But uh, a that's that's an exclusive so i can actually give money back to the organization uh so i do this similarly with the taa cigars and this year i decided to do a ta and a pca exclusive and both cigars are meant to give money back to the organizations to help towards legislation i think that's awesome i'm looking forward to uh hopefully seeing all those releases at the show this year like i said your booth is usually one of the busiest. So it's always one of those that like you're holding court while I'm usually in there trying to take pictures and, and get video and stuff like that. But uh, I definitely am going to make an effort to stop by and see what you all have going on this year um, when I'm there. Yeah. We're really excited because we're, you know, after, after last year and, and, you know, blowing through inventory a lot quicker than we expected to this year, we're actually, still up from last year, but we're able to build inventory. We've been lucky to where we're actually able to build some inventory and uh, we're able to go into the trade show with a true kind of trade show platform, but we're excited just to see everybody. I mean, the trade, again, the trade show for me is that's something I've been going to for 25 years. Uh, so it's like, it's kind of special for me. It's like, it's my Super Bowl to go to every year. And, um, uh, I'm really excited to see everybody. Yeah, definitely. Um, as we kind of come towards the close of our hour together, I always like to end the show by uh, flipping it a little bit and having you offer advice to people who are, are watching. Um, so I usually have two questions that I ask towards the end. The first of those questions is how would you define your why or your what motivates you to do what you do? I think what motivates me to uh, to do what I do is it, it's the challenge of, of making the better machine. You, you always want to, you always kind of want to outdo the last one. It's kind of like writing this, the next song. You, you want to have the next song be the big new hit. Um, so I think that's, that's the motivation is to always, you know, to challenge myself to do better. And the other question I usually typically ask is um, somebody comes to you and they say, Pete, I want to start my own business. It's not necessarily a cigar business or tobacco related, but they have their idea for their own kind of business and they want to be an entrepreneur. What's your advice to them to get started? Well, I, I always tell people that if, if you believe in it, uh, eventually other people will understand it. Don't, don't force it. Don't, don't think that you're, do it for yourself first. Don't, don't do it for other people. Um, the, the other people come in, that's the bonus, like I said earlier, but at the end of the day, you have to, you have to lay your head on your pillow that you made 
you know, you can't, you can't uh, expect the world around you to support you. You, you have to make sure that you support yourself. Um, and I guess the, the last kind of bonus question is if you weren't in the cigar industry, what in the, this kind of alternate universe, obviously, what do you think you would be doing right now? Um, I don't know. I mean, like people, you know, the music has always been in the back of my head, whether or not I would have gotten back into music. When I started in the cigar business, even working retail, you know, music was still there. And then eventually I got so busy in the cigar industry working as a, a sales clerk or working for these companies that that music love kind of like disappeared because I didn't have the time for it. And eventually now I just don't have the time. If I think if I had my choice, maybe music or wine, because I still love the wine uh, world. I love the creativity of it. Um, I love how the seasons change and the wine kind of is different every year. You just try to make it as best as possible to have a true expression of, of what the, the brand is. Similar to cigars, when you're doing cigars, you, you always have to remember that every crop year changes. And you have to go into every year and every every batch that you're making, you have to make sure that it's a representative of what you created in the past. Um, somebody had one more question about your TAA release for this year. They wanted to know how does the 2022 release differ from last couple of years in terms of the taste profile? It's actually more along the lines of the traditional TAA. It might be amped up a little bit. Uh, but it's, it's broadleaf. Uh, the PCA one is the same internal cigar, but with Sumatra. So uh, it's, I would say it's more similar to, uh, you know, the, the 2011s, that style. Awesome. If you looked at the TA releases. Well, cool. You've actually had... There's more people asking questions today than there usually are. Usually it's me just asking all the questions. So I think that is a good sign of, like I said, people knowing who you are and being excited about being able to ask you questions uh, on the spot. So it's always a little bit fun for me when people actually interact like this and ask the questions because I don't even have all these questions sometimes myself. So, Well, I'm pretty, I'm pretty open uh, when it comes to questions and answers like that. I, I kind of feed off of people asking me questions because I I'm, I'm pretty open with telling people the right answer or what I think is the right answer. There's not a lot of secrets that I keep in my life. So I, I try to make sure that people kind of get what we're doing as much as possible. Awesome. So for those people who are not watching Pete, could you tell them what website they need to follow what social media um, yeah. they need to follow in order to interact with you and talk to the best way to get a hold of me is Tatuai Inc. at Tatuai Inc. on Instagram. Uh, my Facebook page that I use most of the time now is Pete Hassel Johnson Jr. The uh, website is obviously www.tatuaicigars.com. Um, and you can see everything. You can even go to HavanaSellers.com and you'll see all the brands that kind of fall under the Tatuai portfolio which is all the surrogates and the athlete products too. Well, awesome. Well, I want to thank you again for spending this hour or almost an hour with, with me today talking about Tatuaje. And as I was saying before we went live, 
Uh, I always limit it to an hour so that we would have something to kind of talk about uh, hopefully later on in the year when we, we can have you back on and uh, it'll be completely new topics. And by then we can talk about all the PCA releases and um, I guess whatever uh, legislative drama the industry is going through at that time. It seems to be something every every season. Well, we we have a big thing coming up. Uh, now it's been postponed for another month, but we have a big uh, uh, court hearing coming up that, that we hope to uh, to get uh, our option two thing recognized and uh, or maybe we'll get really lucky and the judge will side in our favor and maybe we'll be out of the whole FDA uh, view for a while. That will be very good for the whole industry. So, yeah, and I and I have to I have to say that 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 that's mainly because of the trade show organizations and the CRA that that have really, you know, invested time and money to uh, fight uh, for what we all do, which is enjoy premium cigars. Yeah, and like you said, those are the CRA that you were talking about and the PCA. So, for those of people who do not know what those organizations do. It's a good thing to just go to their websites and they have lots of information about um, their latest work and they have press releases up about what's going on and just to be informed because the cigar industry is fun you know, to have the products, but you won't have the products without <laughs> the, the advocacy work. So it's kind of a double edge. You need to know the, the business and the legislative side in order to, I think, really enjoy and appreciate the product. Yeah, and, and know that when you when you buy a cigar from you know a brand like Tatuai or my father, or I'll even say like Fuente or J.C. Newman or or Padron, Rocky Patel, know that uh, that that there's a lot of money going back to these organizations to help uh, fight for the rights of what we're doing. So just remember, every time you purchase a cigar from any of those companies, and the, the list is pretty big. Uh, that there's a lot of money going back to these organizations to fight for our rights. That's right. So thank you again for coming on and thank No, thank you. I mean, uh, like I said, you were one of the people I was like had on my wish list of people I wanted to have on this year when we finally got this new setup kind of stabilized. So uh, thank you for, for being so quick to, to respond to that invite. And like I said, and uh, for coming on and spending this hour with us and um for those of you who are watching on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, make sure you hit that like button or subscribe button. Uh, if you're listening to this on any of the podcasting platforms, just hit that subscribe button. We try to put out new content regularly. Um, there's 80 other episodes if this is your first one. So there's plenty to keep you uh, entertained and you'll get to know other people in the industry like Pete and uh, it's just educational fun to know the people behind the brands that you enjoy. Well, man, I appreciate what you do and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to interview all these people because it's, it's always nice to see some of my friends uh, talk about the love of what they do too. So thank you. Thank you. Um, so we have uh, another show next week. So we have two shows next week. Um, so like I said, for those of you who need you to got talk, Dean Parsons next week. Yes. So Dean, He's great, great dude. Great dude. I've also wanted to have him on for a while, and he's always been on the road. So I finally caught him on a good week. So I'm really excited to be able to talk to, to Dean. And then um, they had on that next Thursday, had the Lay Beans Lames uh, accessories guys from France 
to come on and talk about what they do. So it's going to be completely different shows, but it's all fun. Um, so um, until next time, like I said, if you want to know more about Deep Cuts and see more interviews like this, just go to deepcutslive.com where all the past interviews are. And this interview will also be up there for people who may have missed parts of it, um, hopefully by the end of the week, but probably by tomorrow. So thank you so much. Thank you, Pete. Thank you everybody cool. for watching. And until next time. Peace.